Welcome to Parent Q Live, brought to you from the team at Parent Q. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Parent Q Live. Carlos Whitaker here with Kristen Ivy. Kristen, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing good too. Today we have the one and only Andy Stanley on the podcast today. Again, I mean, the guy is just, he's just wise. He's just wise. And we're going to lean into some of that wisdom today. The conversation we're going to have with Andy today is such an important conversation to have. As it relates to your kids' faith, both now and in the future as they grow up, we've all been paying attention as there's this growing trend for young adults to kind of walk away from the church, maybe leave their faith, maybe just come back to the family and say, hey, guys, I don't believe it anymore. Yeah. And so as parents and grandparents who care about our kids and our our family members, a lot of sure. times we have questions about this issue. And so we wanted to start the conversation by asking you guys, because we know you've been thinking about this. Yes. Why do you think a growing number of young adults are walking away from the faith? Here's what you guys said. I think that young adults are leaving the church because for so many years they've been entertained the whole time. And you know what? Life's not all about entertainment. They want to go deeper. They want to be respected that they have a brain and that they can actually think. And, um, you know, let's, let's actually challenge them. They don't have church as a priority. Sports with their kids, everything else is happening. Used to be nobody planned anything on a Sunday morning because that's what you did on a Sunday morning. You went to church. And now... You know, it is just a competition of where you're going to go and where you're going to be. Um, I don't think that they have the people that are dedicated to them to help them grow in their faith and to stick with them through when times get tough. So I think the, one of the main reasons why the young adults are leaving the church is because of um, the, the relationships. We need to be relational instead of religious. And so a lot of the, a lot of the people that were coming, that they, they need to have people that's going to invest in them. And people are going to love them regardless of where they come from, regardless of what baggage, what trash, what garbage they bring with them, and be told that there is something that is inherently beautiful about them because they're image bearers of God. I think we need to get to their level and meet them where they're at and bring them up from there. Uh, I think because the churches are relevant to their lives. I personally feel like church is too early. I work night shift, and so if I work a Saturday night, it's hard to get to church Sunday morning. So if it was earlier, then I would be more willing to go more often. Um, I would say probably uh, just time. Um, a lot of, especially like the millennial generation, um, people, you know, that's why fast food restaurants are prevalent now and no one has time for anything. So I think, I think that would probably be the biggest thing is just trying to fit that in everyone's busy schedule. Well, obviously, that seems to be a question that a lot of us are wrestling with. And um, a great thing about a lot of us wrestling with it is we get to have a conversation uh, with somebody today that is going to help us wrestle with that question, Kristen. That's right. We're talking with Andy Stanley. And if you don't know Andy, he's a communicator, author. He's the founding pastor of North Point Ministries, which runs 70 churches around the globe, That's serving nearly 118,000 people every week. Wow. Obviously, he has tremendous influence. Outreach Magazine identified Andy as one of the top 10 most influential pastors in America today. He's authored over 20 books, and yet his latest book, Irresistible, may be one of the most deeply critical works for the global church today. Mm, 
Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to lean into that conversation a little bit today. Kristen, you had a chance to sit down with Andy. And so guys, I really, uh, I, I challenge you, maybe even stop doing what you're doing and, and you're going to want to take some notes in this episode as Kristen sits down with our friend, Andy Stanley. So there's been a growing trend in America that's been over the last decade or more of nuns in this under 35 age category. And as you've wrestled pretty deeply with this idea as a, as a Christian leader, as a pastor, and as a parent, what is it that really bothers you most? What bothers me most, Kristen, is that when I read stories of deconversions or I talk to parents, brokenhearted parents, brokenhearted grandparents who tell me their stories, the reasons given um, by those who are religiously unaffiliated, especially those who grew up in Christian churches, the reason they give for walking away from their faith just aren't good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they never have anything to do with the essential truth, as in the singular essential truth of Christianity. They have to do with bad church experiences. I'm not sure I believe in the God that I grew up with. I don't believe in parts of the Bible. I read a book that says the Bible contradicts. I mean, there's multiple, many, many, you know, presenting reasons. Um, But as we've discussed, at the end of the day, they all come back to, I just don't believe it anymore. And mom and dad don't know what to do with it. And grandparents don't. And student pastors don't. And so this just drives me crazy because, again, um, when you get down to, okay, what is the it that you don't believe? Hmm. It's not an it that's really the it. And so I am on a campaign to say, hey, wait, 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 before you go too far, let's make sure that what you left is actually the real thing and not a mischaracterization of Christianity or not a version of Christianity that wasn't the original version. So as I'm listening to you say that, I'm thinking the fundamental problem that you're pointing out really is that they're walking away from something they're calling Christianity. Right. And you're saying, no, the thing you walked away from may not be the thing that matters most. Yeah, but when somebody decides to turn their back on Christianity, usually they're turning their back on the version of Christianity they were brought up in, which may or may not really reflect, um, you know, New Testament, first century Christianity. So I'm trying to stand in a gap. I'm trying to straddle this fence of the, the nuns and those that are in to say, hey, I just want you back. I want you to give it a second shot. I want you to reconsider. I want you to be honest with yourself and answer the question, what exactly is the it that you walked away from? And is it possible um, that you walked away from something that doesn't even really reflect the essential truth of Christianity? Again, because when I listen to the stories, read the books, read the blogs, listen to the rants, um, I think, wait a minute, you haven't mentioned anything that's an essential to faith. You Again, you've, you're walking away from an experience or maybe a caricature of Christianity. Now, I know we're probably going to talk a lot about this, but just because I don't want anybody to miss it, you're referencing um, this idea that there is something essential to Christianity. So what is it? What is the most essential yeah. piece of our faith that you're talking about? I'm so glad we, we need to start off with that. The essential, the essential piece is an event. It is the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is futile, our preaching is futile, um, the people who've fallen asleep, you're never going to see them again. You know, the New Testament, first century Christians referred to death as sleep. I mean, what a powerful image. The whole thing rises and falls on that. In fact, there would be no Bible at all if there wasn't a resurrection. So at the end of the day, Christianity began on Easter. It did not begin with a text. It did not begin in Genesis. It began when 
everybody thought it was over, and then Jesus showed up. That's, that's the moment it all began. So everything flows from that. It flows back in terms of how we view the Old Testament, and it flows forward in terms of what was written following that. So to me, that is the issue, and that's why I say we need to get, the, and I get in trouble when I say this, and I understand, I say we need to get the spotlight off the Bible in our culture and get the spotlight back on the event of the resurrection. So if a parent is coming to you and they're saying, Andy, my kid is telling me they don't believe it anymore, yep. you would advise them to go, okay, is the it they're talking about the actual death and resurrection of Christ, or are they talking about something else? Just yes, to spell I, out yep. what we're dealing with. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point, Kristen, is, okay, what is the it? What is the it? And, well, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe in God. Okay, well, just get all the it's on the table and don't be defensive and and. Please don't try to take each of those issues one by one and wrestle them to the ground. You will lose that battle. I mean, you may win it in your mind and think, aha, I had better <laughs> arguments. But that is not convincing. And, mm-hmm. and then for the most part, those ancillary um, conversations, I mean, they're interesting to have. There are books written on all those things. But really trying to get to the essence of why an individual has walked away from faith and drilling down to the it. And that means a lot of listening. And Kristen, as you know, because you do this all the time, it's very difficult for parents to listen objectively to a son or daughter or a grandson or granddaughter right. who's left the faith because his parents were scared to death. And again, um, the the group that has resonated most um, with what I've been preaching and teaching these last five or six years and the book Irresistible are really the parents who say, Andy, you're the only person I've heard even talk about this. I've not known how to respond. Mm-hmm. Thank you for giving us an on-ramp. At least we can. I know how to begin the conversation. So that's that's the point of all this. Well, you mentioned it right there when you said fear. Even as a mom, I instantly go, well, my fear for my kids is probably the greatest detriment to my ability to listen to them sometimes. <laughs> that's so true. Because I just think, oh, the things I'm afraid about, that's what clouds it. And I want to jump to something I need to convince them of yep. in the moment. It's another reason I love the way that your church has surrounded our family and our kids with other leaders in their life, because sometimes they can maybe come at a conversation with a little bit less of that fear and listen in a different way and hopefully open my ears back up to rehear some of these things. This is such a big deal because um, Shanti Felhan in, in her book, she makes the point that the number one rule in parenting teenagers is don't freak out. Don't freak out. And when Sandra and I read that book all those years ago, when we had middle school kids and, you know, right around the corner from high school, we have gone back to that a thousand times because when a parent freaks out, either good or bad, I mean, kids don't want parents freaking out at the ball game, like cheering too loudly, (laughs) right? And they don't want kid, their parents to freak out, like interrupting the conversation to your point and say, now, wait a minute, but what about, but wait a minute, you mean to tell me they, they, that just shuts down the conversation. So that same application, um, that, that same um, insight is certainly applicable when it comes to this issue because we don't learn anything if we're not listening. But to your point as a mom, to my point as a dad, it's difficult, it is so difficult to be somewhat neutral mm-hmm. when it's our kids. And it is why you need to have your kids in a church where you have a partner in parenting, and that's what Orange has done so well in terms of training church leaders, and that's, again, to your point, what we've tried to build into our model, that every parent, whether they have children, middle school, high school students, there's another adult who can say the same things <laughs> and not freak out when they hear those odd things. Absolutely. And as you've wrestled through a lot of these concepts with the book Irresistible, it just came out. Um, it's a phenomenal resource just to help Christians understand, even champion, a more solid and defensible faith. 
But this book also gives us as parents kind of a new reference point for our conversations with our kids. So as we listen to our kids, don't jump in with fear. Don't kind of cut them off. Right. The next step is how to engage in that conversation. And in this book, you ask parents, what is your go-to why? Yep. Can you explain that just a little bit for yeah, us? Yeah, there's a whole chapter in the book on this, and I'm addressing preachers and teachers and parents and curriculum writers. Anytime that we're trying to get an audience, um, kids in our small group, our own kids, to do something or behave a certain way or embrace a certain value, you know, the question is always, but why, but why, but why? Mm-hmm. And our answer to the question why must always be tied as Christians, I think, to Jesus' new covenant command. And why isn't behavior modification? And why isn't so you don't embarrass your father or your mother? And Mm -hmm. why isn't just so you don't get in trouble? And why isn't just so you will have better relationships? So the why is always related to the you beside you, that we've never had a conversation with someone who didn't matter to God. We've never had a conversation with someone who wasn't made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And so it's that relationship that should drive our behavior. So when my kids were growing up, we only had two rules in our home. Um, honor your mother and don't tell a lie that was it and I wanted my kids to understand the value of honor and asking them to honor me seemed a little self-serving what I discovered (laughs) is kids who honor their mother because their father asked them to honor their mother honor their father by honoring their mother so around and around we go right so I just put the honor word out there and then the reason we don't tell a lie is not because of the Ten Commandments the reason we don't tell a lie is because God will get you we don't tell a lie because lying breaks a relationship and we never want to break a relationship that really was those were the only two rules in our home. Now, again, you know, different stages and ages that we had bedtime rules and that sort of thing. But in terms of behavior, those two drove everything. And it was so simple and it covered a multitude of potential sins because we put the honor word out there ahead of everything. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. And that's what Jesus introduced, you know, during that last Passover when he said, okay, I'm giving you a new command not to add to the rest, but to replace the rest. You guys just love each other the way that not how you've been loved, not how you want to be loved. You love each other the way that I have loved you. And then the next day, he would put on a demonstration of love that would take their breath away. So Andy, I've heard you say before that your goal in parenting was not to have perfectly behaved kids. Which was a good goal not to have. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that a great goal in parenting? Well, we decided, and there's a story behind this, we decided really when our oldest was in a car seat, because I remember when we had this conversation, that our goal would be to raise our kids in such a way that they would want to be with us and want to be with each other when they didn't have to be. Hmm. which was a very relationally driven North Star for our parenting. It wasn't behavior. It wasn't perfectly behaved kids that don't embarrass us and never get in trouble and never do this and never do that and, you know, get to marriage without having a baby first, you know, all those things <laughs> that scare parents to death, which I get that. I have three kids in, in, my, in their 20s. Um, but the goal was when they did not have to come home that they would want to, and when they didn't have to be with each other, they would want to. Well, I'm telling you, Kristen, that really became the filter. And Sandra and I would butt heads sometimes over how to discipline each of our kids and how to respond. 
And when we would set that back out in front of us, it always became clear because when you parent toward relationship, you treat your kids differently, which is okay. You break your own rules sometimes, which is fine because the goal isn't rule keeping. The goal is relationship restoration and relationship building. It, it served us so well. And again, it was a bit of an experiment because that's not those weren't really words we heard our parents talk about, but I just knew intuitively, I think because I was in student ministry for so long, and I saw so many well-behaved kids who left home and never wanted to go back. Wow. And they were so well-behaved, but they didn't want to go back home. And I thought, you know what? I would rather have troublemakers that want to <laughs> be with me and want to be with each other. And and so we're on the other side of that, and I'm, I'm just, again, I'm more of an advocate of that approach than ever. But again, to what we talked about earlier, this really is a Christian issue, and this really is a faith issue and a gospel issue, because think about it. Um, you know, in John 17, we have what's often called the high priestly prayer, Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he prays for the future generation of Christians, and he prays, he doesn't use the word church, but he's praying for the church, and he asked his father really only one thing. Now think of this, he could have asked his father for theological purity, um, for you know sinless father i mean he could have asked for anything and the only thing he asked for is that they may be one even as we are one he prayed the most relationally centric prayer imaginable and then he says to his disciples later by this one thing people will know that you're my follower not your perfectly ironed out theology and not wow. your perfectly ironed out behavior the only the only characteristic the badge of honor the the the, the telltale mark is how you love each other. So as a parent, I mean, I think embracing that as a parent or as a friend, it's so simple. Um, it's not complicated. There are no loopholes because as I say in the book, we almost always know what love requires of us. We almost always know what honor one another requires of us. To the parent who's listening to this and maybe they have a kid who's questioning their faith, they're walking away, not just from maybe the church they attend, the whole church. Um, they're walking away from the it that we talked yep. about at the beginning. What advice would you give to that parent specifically as it relates to helping them come back and have a more irresistible faith? I think Jesus answers that question indirectly with this same statement, that as a parent, we are to love our kids as our Father in heaven through Christ loved us. That's that's the one commandment. And the thing is, you can't make a person believe something they don't believe. It is impossible. Even evidence doesn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. it if you, you believe or you don't believe. So helping a student or helping a child navigate down to at least identifying what is the it. And then I think we just love our kids and we never allow theology to um, become a barrier in relationship. Jesus didn't. I mean, if Jesus had been concerned about you know, guilt by association, he would have stayed in heaven, right? I mean, none of Jesus' followers understood who he was till the very end. They followed, they unfollowed, they refollowed, they believed, they unbelieved, they rebelieved. So that's just part of the, you know, part of the cycle. So I think for parents, we listen, we love, and 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 we love. And this is what I tell parents all the time. I say, you know what? You're making more of a difference than you think, and you will be the last to know when your son or your daughter changes their mind that there is a battle going on in their heart. There is a battle going on in their conscience. They've watched you navigate adversity. They've watched you navigate trouble. They've watched you be faithful. And they know. 
and you'll be the last to know, but um, it'll happen, and, and it'll, it may take time, but don't argue, you know, don't arm wrestle, don't, hey, no son of mine, no daughter of mine, that, you just stick with the relational tools, you love, and you pray, and you wait. Now, a couple of things start coming into mind because I listen to parents and they always ask questions. You know, certain when I'm speaking with parents, um, they come up and ask the same questions again and again. And so if I were to get really specific, what advice would you give to a parent if you were saying, okay, your son or daughter says they don't believe anymore? What kind of things would you say maybe be careful not to say to them? Well, here's the thing. I would say be extremely curious ask questions, and then don't provide answers. In other words, everybody likes to be understood. I mean, everybody wants to be understood. And when your son or daughter feels like they can tell you what they're thinking, tell you what they're doubting, and you say, oh, tell me more, and I'd love to understand that, and they don't sense any resistance, and they don't sense any, but as soon as you finish talking, then I'm going to give you a point-counterpoint. You are never going to point-counterpoint your son or your daughter back into the faith. And the reason you know that you can't is because that's not how you walked into the faith. You know, we, we become Christians, most of us as children. Nobody talked us into it. Basically, they loved us into it. We, we trusted our parents. So be extremely curious. If they want you to read something, read it. If they hand you an article, read it. If they say, you need to read this book, read it. Don't fire back, well, I just read the Bible. Just absorb and absorb and absorb. And that's going to keep the relationship fresh. And again, it opens the door for when there's a crack, when there's a doubt, when there's a need. They'll feel like they can have that conversation with you. I know this is a, l- a little bit different, but this is, a v- this is a true story, and this is exactly how it happened. Um, when Andrew, our oldest, was about 10 years old, he decided he did not believe anymore. He said, I don't have any faith. And um, Sandra wouldn't mind me telling you this. She almost freaked out. She was like panicking, like, oh, no. Our 10-year-old, now he was 10, okay? So he lost his 10-year-old faith. And I would tell her, don't worry about it. And she's like, we need to talk. We need to pray more. We need to have more Bible. I'm like, no. We need to read more with him. I said, Sandra, no, 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 no. So I would say, so he would say, Dad, I don't think I have faith. And I'd say, that's okay. And she'd be like, what do you mean that's okay? I'm like, well, it's okay because we have no choice. It's okay because how do you want him to tell us how he feels? Yes, always. So, so if, so for about a year and a half, every once in a while, when I was putting him to bed, I mean, he was 10. Okay. I would say, Andrew, how's your faith? That's what I would say. How's your faith? It's okay. That's all I would ever ask. How's your faith? And so at some point it was about a year and a half. One day we were praying because we would still pray with our kids at night. He said, dad, I think I have my faith back. I said, good. (laughs) And I didn't say no, what happened? You know, just don't smother. Now again, he's 10 years old, but again, the response has to be the same. It's like, hey, I, I trust you. You'll, you'll figure this out. As most of your podcast listeners know, and this isn't great news. This is just true news. Most adults don't come to faith until something bad happens. Most adults don't look up until they have to look up. And most adults will not relinquish control of their lives until they realize I never had any control to begin with. That's just the story we hear over and over. So if you're an adult son and your adult daughter, fortunately or unfortunately, that day may come, and as a parent, you want to be the first person they run to. And what you do between now and then will determine 
if they feel like they can run to you. And I would just say with all my heart, do everything you can between now and then to create that safe zone. Every time we have a podcast, we try to take all of this incredible information you've just given us as parents and land on one practical point that a parent can put into their week this week. And so we call that our cue. Mm -hmm. And that cue is just one action step you could take anytime this week that would just help with your kids to develop this irresistible faith, this solid foundation. And I think you've kind of hinted at a, a number of different things, but what would be the cue that you would give us? I would encourage you to write down on a three by five card or a sticky note or put it on your computer screen or however you, whatever you need to do to keep something in front of you. And in your own words, just write out the sentence that says, I'm going to parent with our future relationship in mind. I'm going to parent with our future relationship in mind, which means I'm not going to do anything that undermines a future relationship. And that doesn't mean you say yes and become a permissive parent because permissive parents do not have adult relationships with their children. You parent permissively, and when they're gone, they're gone. So this isn't about being permissive. This isn't about not being offensive at times, but you just set that out there. I'm going to parent with our future relationship in mind, and you'll figure it out. What did I say? That was a conversation with quite a few uh, opportunities to write down notes. Friends, that was incredible. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for being on the Parent Q podcast. I love what he said. I, the, the cue is so simple yet so profound. Uh, to write this down somewhere, some, on a sticky note, on a three by five card, put it in your mirror, put it somewhere you're going to see it, tattoo it on your arm. I mean, he didn't say that, but you know, this is, this is what we want to remember. We want a parent with the future relationship in mind. That is huge. I mean, even for me, I'm just thinking of my 16 year old who will be leaving the house in a few years. Like, what do I want our future relationship to look like? Even if she starts having some doubt in her faith, that is where we are heading. Um, that was great. So, so good. Listen, guys, if you guys want uh, to find out again where you can follow Andy online or any of his books, especially the one we've been talking about, head over to theparentq.org slash episode 89. And we'll have all of our show notes there. Um, again, we have lots of resources in our ParentQ store. If you guys want to head over to parentqstore.org as well, we've got resources there as well. We just want to keep you guys resourced as much as we can. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on another episode of ParentQ Live. Like us on iTunes, on Scribbler, on Stitcher, on all the podcast places, and make sure you share this with a friend. We'll see you guys next time on ParentQ Live. Thanks for joining us on Parent Q Live. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and follow us at Parent Q. 